0: When you contribute your fixed income deals to Refinitiv, they'll reach over half a million buy and sell-side professionals around the world and be included in our industry-leading league table rankings. To ensure we're capturing your entire deal flow, visit contribute.refinitiv.com forward slash FI sign up or contact our team at contribute at Make your deal count.
1: The Norwegian Nobel Committee has decided that the Nobel Peace Prize for 2007 is to be shared in two equal parts between the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, and Albert Arnold L. Gore Jr. for their efforts to build up and disseminate greater knowledge about man-made climate change.
2: 2007 was a big year in the fight against climate change. In February, the IPCC had put out a report stating for the first time there was indisputable evidence that human action had led to global warming. Three weeks later, Al Gore won an Oscar for his film An Inconvenient Truth. But at the same time that the Nobel Committee was making its big announcement in Oslo, elsewhere work was just starting on a groundbreaking new idea that would totally revolutionise that same fight. 300 miles away in Stockholm, a young banker had an idea. It was an idea that would totally change the relationship between the financial world and the planet, and open the door to an avalanche of money to fund the changes that scientists said were
3: essential. I'm so sick, sick, sick tired of just to be retired. Huh? This
2: is the story of how the very first green bond came into being. It's the story of how one man's vision to do something for the planet opened the floodgates to a market that today has provided more than $1.2 trillion of funding to vital projects around the world to safeguard our planet.
4: Some of the poorest countries were uh, very much affected by the effects of climate change that were already happening. So increased flooding, higher food prices, droughts, those types of things were already in developing countries could already see those effects.
5: I certainly remember it was a great discussion. and uh, Me being an investment banker, I was on thin ice
0: this was new to me. And I thought, wow, that was a great idea. How <laughs> I wonder why haven't anyone thought of that before.
2: Also the story of how the deal almost never happened, and how the outbreak of the global financial crisis in 2008 led to a sudden shift in priorities. It's the story of how, as panic spread across the world and everyone began to focus on their immediate survival, this groundbreaking deal came perilously close to collapse. I'm Gareth Gore, And this is the syndicate from IFR. To really understand how the deal even came about, we've got to go back almost two decades. In 1994, Sweden was mired in its worst economic crisis since the 1930s. Unemployment had risen fivefold in just three years, and the government had been forced to bail out vast swathes of the banking system. With a big hole in public finances, many Swedes had come to the conclusion that the country's famously generous welfare system was just no longer sustainable. In June of that year, under immense pressure to get the country on a more sustainable economic track, Parliament held a vote to do away with the Folkpanhorn, which had, since the 1950s, provided Swedes with generous pensions. In its place, the government proposed a new defined contribution system, run by a handful of rival national pension funds. After elections in September of that year, it fell to the Social Democrats to work out how a system might work. Lacking a majority, the party was forced to co-opt the Green and Left parties. Who used their leverage to include a new law that would force the new pension funds to manage their assets and i quote in an exemplary manner through responsible investments but what responsible investments meant in practice was anyone's guess here's ola Petter langerland who joined the second swedish national pension fund known as ap2 in 2001
0: at that time the whole climate change discussions wasn't at the level that it is today There was, of course, uh, ethical uh, ESG considerations into a lot of decisions in portfolio management, but that was mainly which companies not to invest in, exclude the bad ones. I would say that the fixed income portfolio did not have any uh, kind of uh, investments relative to any ESG factors at all. We bought government bonds and uh, you didn't really know what the cash was meant to be used to. No, we didn't think that much about it. That was the way it used to work.
2: It was a similar situation in the private sector. lars Juren Urival was head of asset management at Scandia, one of the country's biggest private pension providers. The firm prided itself on investing responsibly. It had stopped investing in tobacco and arms manufacturers years before it became fashionable. But when it came to climate change... It was a different story. As the issue shot up the agenda and people started to ask questions, it became more and more difficult to say exactly what the firm was actually doing.
1: We had started with this responsible investment or ethical investment, and that was really doing investment, having full focus on, on risk and return, but avoiding doing harm. We divested in, in tobacco and also this controversial weapons you divest from that. At that time, discussions about global warming had started and uh, people are asking, are you doing something? And we could say, well, we are investing in good companies, but you couldn't really pinpoint that your investment was going to something that was in the battle of global warming.
2: On the other side of Stockholm, one investment banker was facing a problem of his own. Christopher Flensborg had grown up in Denmark and started out as a trader at Danske Bank. By 2007, he was one year into a job at SEB where he'd been put in charge of product development and specifically finding something new to sell to the bank's pension and insurance clients. Remember, this was a time of huge innovation in the banking industry. It was the era of the quant, mathematical prodigies who were becoming increasingly confident in their ability to structure ever more complicated products. Banks were cooking up new varieties of alphabet soup on a regular basis. This was the era of the CDO, the CDO Squared and CPDOs. At SEB, the team was small and its ambitions somewhat lower. Flensborg and his team were tasked with finding something new to sell to its biggest clients, the Swedish pension funds. Those funds had long favoured safe assets, such as government bonds. But the returns offered by such investments were getting smaller and smaller, and they were eager to invest in something new. One idea was to get clients to buy bonds issued by the multilateral development banks, like the World Bank, European Investment Bank, or Asian Development Bank. But Flensburg soon found, even if he packaged them up into new products, they still wouldn't match the returns being offered on some of the supposedly safe assets being sold by his bigger rivals.
5: We needed to find replacement for these low-risk investments, and the natural ones are the MDBs, Multinational Development Banks, However, due to the nature of the market at that point in time, where you had a lot of, of structured deals, which were both well-rated and yielding higher than the MTBs, it was quite difficult to actually introduce investors to MTB issuers because they were yielding lower. So I was tasked to create this replacement, but at the same time I was challenged to find ways of letting the stakeholders meet each other.
2: But Flensborg had another idea. If he couldn't compete against the big Wall Street firms on returns, then why not try something completely different? He knew that the big Swedish funds, by law, had to invest their money responsibly. He'd also been following the debate on climate change very closely. Years earlier, he'd made a pledge to himself to do something for the environment. I had a situation
5: back in 1996 where I was three months in a hospital. I had water in my head and I was luckily enough at a very good hospital with some good doctors and I was laying down for a long time, had a long time to think. And I promised myself after coming out that if I could ever do anything inside the world I believe in, and I do believe in capitalism, for the climate, then I would do it. And then I had this chance ten years later, and that was the personal drive behind that.
3: By late 2007,
2: climate change was also high on the global agenda. As we heard earlier the IPCC and Al Gore had jointly been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. In December, the former US Vice President travelled to Oslo to deliver a call to arms.
0: The earth has a fever, and the fever is rising. The experts have told us it is not a passing affliction that will heal by itself. We asked for a second opinion, and a third, and a fourth, and the consistent conclusion Restated with increasing distress is that something basic is wrong. We are what is wrong, and we must make it right.
2: With climate change rising up the agenda, Flensborg wasn't alone in trying to find new banking products to sell to investors who wanted to be seen doing something to address the growing crisis. A few months earlier, Dresdner Kleinwort, Merrill Lynch and Unicredit had structured what some people see as the first green bond. It was a 600 million euro deal from the European Investment Bank, which raised money to fund renewable energy and energy efficiency projects. But the Climate Awareness Bond, as it was known, was more like a structured product than a bond. There was no annual coupon. Instead, there was a single payment after five years, with the return linked to the performance of a FTSE for Good Index. Investors were given the option of being paid in carbon credits which they could cancel to reduce emissions. Unsurprisingly, the format wasn't a huge hit among pension funds, but Flensborg and his team thought the format was interesting. They thought, why not do the same thing? Raise money for green projects, but actually structure it like a normal bond with a regular fixed coupon. He spoke with the bank's chief economist, Klaus Eklund, and together the two of them set about gauging investor appetite. Ole Petter Langerland, who you might recall was working at AP2, was one of those they approached.
0: We wanted to put our fixed income portfolio into better use and we also needed to do that in a way that didn't conflict with the guidelines that we had. So there came a few products, one that I think it was the EIB who issued a bond where you can have your coupon in uh, emission rights. And if you wanted to make a positive impact for the climate, then you could kind of cancel those. But for us as a public pension fund, it was very hard to justify that we could cancel something that had a financial value. It's not sure that all the pensioners in Sweden would accept that. It was uh, Christopher and and Klaas Eklund gave me a call and asked if they could come by and they had a presentation that they thought I would like to see. And then they started the whole process of making a bond with uh, proceeds related to projects in order to fight climate change. And I thought, wow, that was a great idea. How, <laughs> I wonder why haven't anyone thought of that before?
2: The other Swedish pension funds were equally keen. Flensborg also decided to take his pitch to Oslo, where he'd heard that some Norwegian funds were also looking for new green investments. Within a few weeks, there were informal commitments from several funds for more than $800 million. He had the buyers. Now, all he needed was an issuer willing to be a guinea pig in the new format. But there was one complication. The investors had been clear they weren't willing to buy a bond from just anyone the issuer would need to be top rated and have a strong track record of overseeing green projects. It's here that Flensborg's unsuccessful attempts to sell multilateral bank debt to Swedish pension funds came in useful. The World Bank, he quickly realised, ticked all those boxes. It was time to put in a call to Washington. Over at the World Bank, the Treasury team was somewhat surprised when the call came in from SEB. They were used to being approached by banks with reverse inquiries from investors. Requests for a bond in Peruvian Soles or Thai BART, for example. And they were usually happy to fulfil such requests. At the end of the day, the reverse inquiries were just plain old bonds and didn't involve the World Bank taking any major risks. The idea from SEB was different. It was proposing that the money raised be put in a separate account, which could only be used for projects that fit the criteria agreed with the people who bought the bonds. Doing the deal would be a complete revolution in the way it did things, and would require months of work for a team that was already very busy. Here's Christopher Flensburg recalling his first pitch to the World Bank team in Washington.
5: I certainly remember it was a great discussion and me being an investment banker, I was on thin ice. This was new to me, but I had claws with me who knew a lot about the climate. And he was my kind of support, giving security in that meeting that we actually knew what we were talking about. So that was very important. It was a very good meeting. It was a very encouraging meeting. I think it was seven or eight people from the World Bank in that first meeting. And we went out with a very, very good feeling. So we didn't have any commitment or promises. We went out with a very good feeling.
2: One of those present was Heike Reichelt, a German banker who joined the World Bank Treasury team in 2000. She was impressed by the pitch and by Christopher in particular, who recounted his personal story and his pledge to do something good for the environment. She hadn't worked with SEB before, but felt encouraged by the can-do attitude and the support from the pension funds in Sweden. She very quickly spotted that such a deal would be great PR for the World Bank's existing climate projects. The bank was already active around the world. In Montenegro, it was involved in installing solar panels on public buildings In Argentina, it was building wind and solar farms for rural communities. And in China, it was helping make factories less polluting. For a while, the Treasury team had been on the lookout for ways to highlight the bank's work. It had just sold almost $400 million of so-called eco-bonds through ABN AMRO and Fortis, with a payout that was linked to the performance of shares in green firms. It was also working on another smaller deal with a Japanese bank to be called a cool bond that tied the coupon to reductions in carbon emissions. But again, both were more like structured products than conventional bonds. And crucially, they were marketing exercises. The money raised would go into the World Bank's big pot, meaning that proceeds might even be used for projects that were harmful to the climate. What SEB was proposing was revolutionary in its simplicity. This would be a conventional bond, but proceeds would only go to climate projects. Here's Heike Reichelt on her impressions after that first meeting with SEB.
4: So there was starting to be this interest in socially responsible or sustainable investing. So we were having these types of conversations with investors, but it was more about getting them interested in the mandate of the World Bank. There was no product that was specifically labeled or dedicated and it was SEB that uh, contacted us and said there's a, a group of swedish investors that is collaborating on how to address uh, climate risks and so they talked us through uh, uh, the idea to have a product that looked just like any other product so you know fixed income plain vanilla but helped these investors uh, somehow address the challenges of of climate change.
2: The World Bank took a few weeks to mull over the idea, before getting back to Flensborg to say that yes, it was interested in pursuing the suggestion. That then prompted another series of meetings, where the World Bank sought to understand the specifics of what kind of projects the investors wanted exposure to, and whether that fitted with its current programme. Heike Reicheltz recalls that there was a good deal of education for investors at that early stage.
4: And so we started a direct dialogue with the investors and came and discussed with us and heard from our operations colleagues, you know, how we design projects. And in this dialogue with them also recognised the need to support adaptation. Some of the poorest countries were uh, very much affected by the effects of climate change that were already happening. So increased flooding... Higher food prices, droughts, those types of things were already, in developing countries, could already see those effects.
2: All sides soon realised that just convincing each other about the merits of individual projects wouldn't be enough. How could these Swedish and Norwegian funds be sure that their money was being used in a way that upheld their own legal obligations to invest the money responsibly? Out of the conversations, it soon became clear they would need a third party to come in and vouch for the projects, and verify that they were addressing climate change. But who? Step in, Knut Halvor Alfsen. He was a scientist in Oslo, who'd worked on the IPCC report that had won the Nobel Peace Prize. After a few years working at the Norwegian Statistics Agency, in early 2008, he'd just started a new job at Cicero, a climate research centre that had been set up by the Norwegian government in the early 1990s. Then, one day, he received a call from Flensborg.
3: Christoffer Flensborg from SEB in, in Sweden, one day he knocked at my door quite unexpectedly. I didn't know him, I didn't know why. the setting, the context, or anything. And he sort of bombarded me with his enthusiasm for what he was about to try to achieve, which was to launch these green bonds. Half of it, I guess, went over my head. And he explained very carefully and actually quite personally why he was involved in this. But it was a moving story. It made me believe in him. He he really wanted to do something good for the environment. As we all know, the the caricature of of the financial sector. It's uh, cynical. It's uh, all all about money and climbing and getting ahead. And this guy from the SEB, Christopher, he really wanted to do good Mm. in a... Human
2: way. Convinced by Flensborg, he agreed to provide what they called a second opinion and immediately started work looking through the World Bank's own internal rules and regulations governing the projects that it sent money to. But what he found wasn't quite what he was expecting.
3: I was astonished when I got the records or documents from the World Bank, you know, because they have rules and regulations to fill the room. I sort of had to wade through all of this together with a colleague of mine. It was such an immense amount of procedure, uh, regulations, discussions should go this way and that way and those should be involved and the other should be involved and this whole mass of regulations for any foreseeable situation and you know most of them were totally irrelevant for what I was looking for which was how they would handle environmental concerns. When
2: he finally found what he was looking for, he discovered that the rules around environmental standards
3: were completely lacking in detail. We, we got a short document of the kind of, of projects that they wanted to finance by these Green Bonds. They were very broad categories, like more energy-efficient housing, more better or environmentally friendly transport, clean coal, I remember was in there. And these were so broad and there were no concrete criteria, you know, like energy use per square meter or things like that when it came to the energy efficient buildings. So it all came down to assess whether the people who are actually going to make decisions whether a project was in or out, did they have the competence?
2: So in the end, the second opinion that Cicero provided on that very first green bond was a bit of a fudge. Knut Halfour alfsson didn't have any hard and fast rules or specific metrics about the various projects. But what he did have was confidence that the team at the World Bank that was signing off on these projects would only do so if they genuinely believed that they were tackling climate change. Such a second opinion wouldn't cut it nowadays, but we have to remember this was something completely new. At the same time, the World Bank was also hard at work putting together the separate account, the legal documentation around that, as well as updating its list of projects around the world, tagging ones that would fit the criteria agreed with the investors, and signed off by Cicero. It's worth pointing out that no new projects were funded by the Green Bonds. These were all pre-existing projects. So, the World Bank had to work out which ones it could send the proceeds to. This whole process took months. By late summer of 2008, the team at SEB felt things were almost ready, but they felt they might have one last push. Christopher Flensborg was keen to get to the $1 billion mark and began pushing the funds that had signed up to slightly up the commitments. As the weeks ticked by, he felt that the $1 billion marker was almost in reach, but then something happened that blew all his plans apart
3: global financial markets have been plunged into crisis after a dramatic weekend on wall street that saw lehman brothers one of the world's largest
0: investment banks file for bankruptcy and a small arrival merrill lynch was rescued by another firm US stocks suffered their biggest one-day decline since the market reopened following the September the 11th terrorist attacks, as speculation mounted that AIG, the
2: giant insurer, might be the next to fall in what is rapidly becoming the worst financial crisis in many years. One unexpected casualty of Lehman Brothers' collapse was the Norwegian kroner, which fell by more than 30% over just a few weeks, sending in the cost of hedging the currency in the swaps market spiralling. Soon... The team at SEB received some bad news from the buyers in Norway.
5: So what happened there was that the basis swap became extremely volatile and the Norwegian basis swap went berserk and we lost all the Norwegian clients. So the Swedish clients stayed because it was more stable and the Norwegian clients just disappeared. I think we lost 30 or 40 basis points and pick up to governments in Norway so it was understandable. I was just aiming to get a billion in total and I had like 820 million so I was just kind of walking around to get the last 180 million and and then suddenly Lehman and, and then it was half instead of double.
2: Desperate to save the deal after a year of work, SEB and the World Bank decided to go ahead with just the Swedish funds. The only sticking point remaining was price. Now, on every single bond, the buyer and the seller want to squeeze every last basis point out of each other. And the same was true with this deal. Right in the middle, SEB and the other banks by this time Credit Suisse and LBBW had been brought in as co-managers, tried to get the two sides to agree. But the conversations were particularly fraught. The World Bank had initially been under the impression it would get a pricing advantage from doing the green bond. After all, it had put in a year of work, had revamped its internal processes and racked up sizeable legal bills. If investors wanted bonds with the green stamp, then they should be expected to pay for it, right? Unfortunately, the buyers didn't agree at all with that way of thinking. They had a fiduciary duty to their clients. Another concern was liquidity. This was a completely new product, and the funds buying it, while they expected to hold the bond to maturity, were slightly worried they might not be able to find buyers for this weird new bond if they suddenly needed to sell it. Given all that was going on in the markets at the time, remember, liquidity and the ability to quickly turn a position into cash was right at the forefront of people's minds. Here's Ola Petter Langeland from AP2 on those pricing discussions.
0: In our statutes uh, there was uh, a phrase that we should take uh, ethical, uh, social and government concern into consideration but without uh, sacrificing investment returns. For us uh, when we looked into this we knew that It needs to be priced on the World Bank curve. We can't pay anything extra. If it's priced on the World Bank curve, that's decent because this is going to be quite illiquid. It's not a benchmark issue. One of the tough parts for us to come around when it was green bonds in the beginning of the market, we couldn't actually pay more than, we couldn't pay through the curve. And we knew also that um, there was a lot of work for the year, legal work, monitoring work on uh, the projects, and also reporting work, impact reports. There was a lot more extensive than a normal general obligation bond. So we knew that the cost would be higher for them, but we still didn't have the possibility to actually pay up for that. <laughs>
2: Sell-off in the markets was also making some of the Swedish funds think twice. Bond markets were extremely volatile, and some of the yields on offer for seemingly safe names were extremely tempting. Here's Lars Jørgen Ureval from Scandia again on how he saw things. He'd sold some of the fund's Swedish government bonds to allocate the money to this deal just before Lehman collapsed. And says, had he not committed to do the deal before the sell-off, things might have been very different.
1: If they had come half a year later, I maybe have not done this investment because this happened before Lehman Brothers. And of course, World Bank, that's not a big credit spread you have there. But at the time, I could switch a government bond to this bond and I thought that was a k OK deal and no one could really argue with that. After Lehman Brothers, there were so many things that you could invest in with much, much higher yield. So that would have been a problem, really.
2: Here's Heike Reichelt from the World Bank on how they saw things and the pressure to get this deal over the line after a year of work and with all that was going on in the markets. She actually believes the financial crisis helped make sure the deal happened.
4: So as we were in the final stages of uh, developing this product internally, um, the financial crisis hit and as we were speaking to investors shortly before issuing the first green bond, uh, many of them were just focused on managing their portfolios based on the financial crisis. And some people ask whether it prevented the you know, market from growing. I actually think that it was one of those uh, factors that helped catalyze the market. So helped investors realise that you know, finance has a purpose.
2: On November 6th, 2008, seven weeks after Lehman collapsed, the World Bank priced the first green bond. It was a Swedish krona five-year issue, raising 2.325 billion Swedish krona, about $300 billion at the time, so less than half the initial order book, with an annual coupon of 3.5%. At SEB, Flensborg, allowed himself a moment as the bond started trading. He'd come so close to seeing all his efforts slip away.
5: I'm an old bond dealer, and I used to be a market maker, meaning that I'm used to sit with two phones and and trade all day and and not have a break. And for myself, I took probably 30 or 45 seconds, break at the floor, just looking over over the floor. I don't recall I've been doing that at any other time in my career, which is 30
2: years. Little did they know at the time, but the deal would change the face of the market the deal turned a lot of heads. Within two months, the World Bank had done two taps on the deal, raising an additional 525 million Swedish krona. Then, in April 2009, the state of California bought a $300 million green bond from the World Bank. SEB was once again the main bank on that deal. More followed. And by 2014, the World Bank was issuing $2 billion a year of green bonds. Today... The World Bank has sold more than 160 Green Bond deals since doing that first one in late 2008. Raising more than $13 billion, those deals have funded more than 100 projects to tackle climate change around the world. Last year alone, it estimates that projects funded by its Green Bond programme helped to avoid about 37 million tonnes of CO2, as well as generating enough clean energy to power more than half a million homes for a year. Christopher Flensburg also believes that the legacy of the World Bank deal is even more significant. Its decision to back down on pricing and sell that first bond at the same price as its other bonds in the market is the main reason that green bonds have taken off, he believes. The
5: Green Bond market would not have been where it is today if the World Bank wouldn't have accepted to go on what they call comparable pricing. Sometimes it might be one base point cheaper, sometimes one base point more expensive, but a comparable pricing. Investors will simply be reaching their financial mandate, fiduciary mandate, by buying into it, unless that was the case.
2: But, of course, the wider impact of the deal is far greater, and something that could potentially change the planet. The Climate Bond Initiative, which tracks the market, says that almost 8,000 green bonds have been issued in the last decade or so. In 2020, cumulative proceeds from such deals crossed the $1 trillion mark. Today, more than $1.2 trillion of money has been raised to help tackle climate change. And all as a result of that first deal in November 2008. What's more, the World Bank digging its heels in on price actually proved rather prophetic. Today, such is the demand for green bonds that investors routinely pay a premium, the so-called greenium, to secure allocation on new deals. Issuing in the green format nowadays can save issuers many millions of dollars in interest costs. We leave the final words to the climate scientist, Knut Halfor alfsson who admits he was skeptical to begin with, but has since been won over. He still occasionally sees Christopher Flensborg.
3: I got a phone call almost every day from Christopher for a while, uh, telling me who was buying these bonds. And and it was so and so many million dollars and billion dollars. And, you know, the numbers didn't really mean much to me. Me and Christopher, we, we, over this time, you know, we established a relationship and we talked to each other. And uh, when I was in Stockholm for some businesses, we went out for a beer and talked all evening, you know. And he told me again and again he met some financial guy sitting usually in an office without any windows, perhaps even in a cellar in the building, you know, doing his things. And then all of a sudden he got the opportunity to do something good for the environment and for humanity from his rather dreary position. You have this picture of a guy sitting with his Excel sheets down in an office without a window and suddenly he can do something good.
2: Thank you for listening. This episode of The Syndicate was researched, written, and presented by me, Gareth Gore. The editor was Matthew Davis. This has been a fresher production for IFR.
0: When you contribute your fixed income deals to Refinitiv, they'll reach over half a million buy and sell-side professionals around the world and be included in our industry-leading league table rankings. To ensure we're capturing your entire deal flow, visit contribute.refinitiv.com forward slash FI sign up or contact our team at contribute at Refinitive.com. Make your deal count.